Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. This is the first of 2023, so Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, We're back with a new episode. No breaks this year. Maybe next year we'll take a break in December, but full steam ahead for us. Brand new episode here for you. This week I'm joined by Chef Brendan Miller. He is the co-executive chef of Jollity, which is in Dayton, Ohio. Fantastic restaurant. We've been there a couple times. Him and Zach Wiener, who's previously on this podcast, are pretty much the executive chefs there. And Nathan Hale is the third part of the trio. They all own Jollity. He runs the front of the house. He's the general manager. So he's kind of doing that side of things. And Zach and Brennan are in the kitchen. And the reason I want to have Brennan on, not just because Jollity is an awesome restaurant we love to go to. It's only an hour drive from Columbus. A little bit less, I think, if you're coming from Cincinnati to Dayton, Ohio. It's right downtown. Easy to park. Park anywhere along the street, pretty much. I think after five is free. There's a parking lot behind the restaurant, too, as well. It's right down the street from Sueno. They just started doing Koji Burger, which is a new concept that they're developing. It's currently in the pop-up form pretty much Friday and Saturdays during the day from 11 to whenever they sell out, kind of the lunchtime hour there is when they operate Koji Burger. And we had the chance to try it ourselves, their last pop-up they were doing before their Christmas break. So I think it was like December 17th. I was off that day. So we drove out there, got some lunch, hit up Dorothy Lane Market, which is a cool market if you guys haven't been to. It's kind of reminds me of Whole Foods before Whole Foods became a giant conglomerate, essentially. You could still find like Tide detergent and stuff there, but they have their own products. They have a great wine selection too as well. They have just kind of a general wine area and then they have like a more upscale wine cellar kind of enclosed too as well. So that was awesome to check out. With Koji Burger, the food is delicious. The burger is amazing, super flavorful. They also had a take on the McRib um, on there too as well when we went and that's from the guys at Gem City Butchery and Jonathan Menza. Uh, who's one of the co-owners of that concept, which also pops up with Agility during daytime hours, usually on Sundays. There was a French onion duck poutine, I believe, was on the menu too as well. And they had some sides. There was a salad. There were some potatoes with uh, an aioli. And I think they had a red velvet cookie was for dessert. We'll post pictures from it, but we had an amazing time. Uh, it's delicious food. We've always loved the guys at Jollity and everything that they're doing. It's a cool restaurant. So we always want to uh, get out there uh, every couple months. They change over the menu pretty quick. Tasting menu at the counter. Menu changes pretty much every month. Tasting menu pretty much changes every month too as well. Tasting counter is pretty much, I think, like eight seats or something. Like came that. on, you know, we chatted about Jollity too as well, but also Koji Burger, how all that came through. Future plans for the concept too as well, what they got kind of going on at Jollity, his career, you know, with Dayton, how all three of them linked up and everything. So just a fun episode, great restaurant, great food. So if you haven't been there, check it out. It's probably an hour or so from Columbus and then a little bit less if you're coming from Cincinnati too as well. So you can drive there and grab some dinner and drive back. It's pretty straightforward on 70 West. So uh, you can follow them on Instagram at Jollity Dayton is the restaurant account. Uh, you can follow Brendan at System Updating. He doesn't post or anything. Uh, he's not super big on social media. I think he mentions that too in the podcast, but you can follow his account there if you want, just in case. And also the Koji Burger account. It's at Koji Burger underscore DYT. And then the guys at Gem City Butchery, you could find them too um, on Instagram. You could follow us on Instagram at Spoon Mob. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Spoon Mob One. We do have a TikTok account that we're going to try and start doing some stuff with too as well. It's just add Spoon Mob there. 
We took a break from Twitter. We're back on there. We just pretty much post, um, you know, when new episodes come out, but you can follow us there if that's your preferred social media app. But mainly we use the Instagram and everything else is kind of linked off that. Make sure to check out our website, spoonmom.com. We got different profile pages for all of our guests, links to all their episodes, uh, any new updates since they've been on the episode, we put up there too. And then a bunch of different food photos from all the food that we've had with all the guests or, or wine too as well from any of the sommeliers or restaurant owners, what have you. You can find all that stuff there, all their contact information, if their Instagram handle changes, anything like that. We update all that stuff. So it's pretty much always up to date. Maybe it takes a day or two before I get caught up on it, but um, pretty much always kind of running up to date as new things come out. So the order, we pretty much have all the chef episodes listed in the category. It's from most recent that was released to kind of the first. And then there's some sushi stuff down there too as well towards the bottom. All the sommeliers, kind of same deal. Most recent episode, most recent guest at the top, oldest kind of episode at the bottom. And then we also have uh, insider categories. Anybody who's in, you know, either owns a restaurant or, you know, we had John Reese from Black Riders Creamery, that kind of falls in there where it's somebody within the hospitality scope, but they're not a chef. They're not, uh, you know, behind the pass or anything like that. But, you know, we've had a chocolatier, a squeeze of chocolates on there bunch of different restaurant owners from, you know, Joe Galati of Commune and Brandon Grissetti of Pigeon, which is one of my favorite restaurants out in Vancouver. So all that stuff you can find there. If you haven't listened to any of these episodes or maybe skip some, make sure to go back. They're all worthwhile listening. These are our favorite places to kind of eat or places we've been uh, that we want to make sure kind of stay in business and help spread the word so people get a chance to check them out and uh, help support them. You can also follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever platform that you use. Just hit the follow subscribe button. All the new episodes will download in your feed. New episodes come out Thursdays, 1 a.m. And then a week later, they'll hit YouTube. So you can subscribe to our YouTube channel there too as well. You know, everything should just auto download. We're on all the Android apps too as well. The only thing you won't find us on is Pandora just because they never approve us going on their platform. We submitted like three, four times. It just never went anywhere. So if you use Pandora, sorry, but everything else you can find us, iHeartRadio, whatever. We're on everything. Without any further delays, here's my conversation with Chef Brendan Miller, the co-executive chef of Jollity in Dayton, Ohio, and Koji Burger, also in Dayton, Ohio. Cool. Well, thanks again for taking some time out of your evening here. I know Mondays are one of the probably few days off that you get. Cool that you're able to find some time to jump on and chat a little bit. I want to get into not just Jollity, which you know we kind of covered with Zach when he was on the podcast, Zach Wiener, who's your co-executive chef with you there, but Koji Burger too as well, which is this concept that you're developing. But before we get on all that, I always like to start at the beginning. How did you kind of first get involved with cooking? It's something I just fell into. Uh, I was a paper boy at 12 years old. And then 13, I started at a local ice cream shop. And I wasn't good at school. And I was making money before high school. So uh, just kind of something I stuck with. Yeah, ended up where I'm at today. So when you're working in, in high school, did you think it would ever become a profession for you? I was just cooking. I was like, I don't know, I call it kitchen mercenary. Uh, just bounced around and then Come junior year of high school, I went to Miami Valley CTC uh, for culinary arts. And that's kind of when I realized like, okay, this is something that, you know, I can move forward with the promotions and all that stuff, like moving up the ladder. It was challenging. That's why I went the route that I did. Did you wind up going to Johnson and Wales at some point in Charlotte? Yeah, I did. Uh, I graduated high school in 2006 and then it was like a three week break. I was on an accelerated program 
So my freshman year was done in 16 weeks. I went from graduating high school straight into my freshman year, got that done in three months, and then finished my uh, full semester of sophomore year and graduated with an associate's for applied sciences. So for somebody who wasn't very good at school, you really accelerated through the process there pretty quick. Yeah, well, yeah, I found what I was into or what I was good at and uh, just, you know, snowballed. I was able to retain that information. I couldn't retain uh, very much else from school. But yeah, as soon as I realized that, okay, I can do this. What was it about Johnson and Wales that was most intriguing? Because I mean, that's all the way out in Charlotte. You're kind of a local guy, right? No, I grew up in Dayton, not born. I was born in Cincinnati, but we moved here when I was really young. It was a brand new campus at the time. I think they'd only been open for a year. I went down to visit, really like the people. The great thing about that accelerated program uh, was for that 16 weeks, the only people on campus were the people that tested out. So it was just like a bunch of, you know, 16 very, very serious kids who were ahead of the curb, uh, just hanging out for three months during the summer in a city that I had never been to or lived in, you know, except to visit, like check out the college campus. But yeah, the, uh, the recruiting team did a good job of kind of showing us around the city, like, or what things you can do. Their backyard was the Carolina Panthers uh, practice field. There was something always going on. Did you work in any restaurants while you were in school there or was it just strictly school? I opened a Fox and a Hound. I can't remember what city. It was about 10, 15 minute drive uh, from the campus. Uh, and then I worked with one of my chefs, uh, Shane Pearson at a synagogue. And we did private events there uh, every now and again. After I graduated his class, he wouldn't let me work for him until I was done. I ask this question to everybody who comes on the podcast. You went to culinary school. If somebody in your kitchen now over at Jollity, hey, I'm interested in becoming a professional chef one day, I want to open my own restaurant, own my own restaurant. Should I go to culinary school? What would you tell them? Honest opinion, culinary school is good. Kind of wish, like if I could go back and do it again, I would have worked at other restaurants, left Ohio a little bit earlier and kind of did a little, little bit more research instead of like mainly cooking bar food, realizing that I like it. And then, you know, a whole other world. So I guess, you know, double-edged sword, a whole other world. And things got opened up when I went to college and met, you know, new people and new ingredients. And to this day, I'm still like, I mean, Zach comes up with ingredients sometimes I think out of his ass trying to learn. It's always about learning. So after you graduate, you kind of work in a couple restaurants, you know, in the Charlotte area, right? But at some point, I think you wind up in Michigan and Colorado before you wind up coming back to Dayton. Fill in the blanks there. What happens? First moved to Michigan. I worked at a place called the Meal Foot. He was my college roommate, was one of the owners, Mike Romine. I worked there for six months. Uh, that was really, really cool. Every week I got to butcher, you know, two whole pigs, mostly from his farm, farm to table. So farmers coming in every single day, dropping off the produce, menu changes very, very frequently, kind of like what we do now. They did it probably a little bit more frequent than we do. Uh, but yeah, and it was just kind of very wholesome, very smart family style cooking that was upscale. They own a butcher shop that I kind of helped open just, I don't know, just by being there, I guess. But yeah, every time I go uh, up to Detroit, I stop into Farmfield table and grab some meat to take home. Learning how to butcher and everything, was that just another tool in your arsenal that you wanted to pick up? Or did you really like enjoy breaking down pigs and stuff like that? Because it seems to be like two schools of thought for people that I talk with. Like some people really love it and then some people just want to know how to do it so they can do it. Uh, I enjoy it. Definitely. I'm the one that does most, if not all the butchering at Jolly, uh, even down to the Koji burger. Like we get on the whole subprimal and then I break it down and uh, season it for a few days and then rinse it and grind it. 
No, it was something that I definitely sought out. Like, I'm glad that I got that opportunity to work with him because uh, it was very, very detailed. Uh, Mike, very, very smart dude. And knows like all about the pig. Just, you know, he owns, his dad owns the farm. I think that was a big reason for me going there was just getting out of my comfort zone. I lived in my truck for six months uh, while I was doing that. So I'd end up sleeping in the parking lot. I had a gym membership to take showers. So yeah, it was definitely like something I wanted to do. Very, very passionate about. So van life before van life existed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there any animal that like you haven't had the opportunity to butcher that you'd like to, whether it's a whole tuna or like an elk or, you know, something? Uh, surprisingly enough, squirrel. Like I've always wanted to have squirrel and I've never want to go hunting, never been hunting. But yeah, it's something that like I want to try it. They eat nuts all day. So people do eat it. I just can't find any or not looking hard enough. After you kind of work on this farm to table restaurant for a little bit, you know, doing some butchery, then what happens? Do you stay in Michigan after that six months or is that when you wind up in Colorado? So I worked at Mulefoot for six months and then moved to Colorado to work at Vail Resorts, uh, just on top of one of their peaks. It was cool. I got, I learned how to snowboard. Uh, it was like stadium cooking, I guess, just cheeseburger and French fries, high turnover in and out. We did get to go to a four store restaurant on the top of one of their highest peaks. It was all right. Getting up there was cooler, I think, than the experience uh, of the actual restaurant. But yeah, it took, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes on the gondola. It took a while to get up there and it was at night. So like all the stars were out. And, uh, yeah, it was just a very cool experience. Just kind of get away from Dayton, live somewhere else. I love the snow. So it just made sense. And then left Colorado, moved back to Ohio for a little bit, and then moved back to Michigan. With, I worked in Ann Arbor, but I went to go live with my grandma uh, for a little while. Her, My grandfather had passed away, uh, and we're pretty close. So I went to go hang out with her for a while. Yeah, moved back, started CareSource, and then, yeah, Open Jolly. So when you're working in ski country, because we've had a couple people on that have spent some time working in that neighborhood in that kind of style, they've all described it as extremely demanding in the fact that when it's busy season, it is busy and your restaurant is packed wall to wall, night after night, there's no breaks. Is that kind of what you experienced too as well? It was one of the easiest jobs. I mean, I was overqualified, you know, realized it a little bit too late. It was easy. I don't know. We just, me and the chef, uh, Steve, just, I don't know, went through the motions. We knew what we were doing. It wasn't a hard menu. I guess the most important part was you had the employees put to work on the stations. And I think that's what affected most of the other peaks was they, they didn't have the employees or the, you know, the employees couldn't cut it. So, but yeah, we just, I don't know, we maintained balance. We always had the highest sales, always had the cleanest, you know, restaurant. So yeah, it was just put in work and it was a nice gig. I think I got up at six in the morning and we were done before five. So, you know, you take the bus back to your apartment and get ready for the next day or go out, you know, Getting done with work was cool too because you get to snowboard or ski down the mountains. Nobody there going up and then going home is always a blast. Do you still snowboard? Uh, I haven't since I left. Uh, I'd like to, but I haven't been to Mad River or whatever it is. But yeah, I just haven't. You wind up in, you know, Ann Arbor for a little bit with your grandma and then, you know, move back to Dayton. So was that then you mentioned opening Care Source, but also somewhere in there you work at the Dublin pub too, right? So I worked at the ice cream shop and then started at the Dublin pub a little bit after. So I was still 13, I think. It was real early. That's kind of like, I guess, where I got my start. I was there on and off for 13 years. Started off as dishwasher busboy on the weekends and left to go to college and came back and said, you know, hire me as the chef. And they finally did. I was a bit persistent about that one, but it's home. Yeah, ran that for a little while. And I forget what I left for. 
and then just bounced around Dayton kind of after that. Worked at a few country clubs too, Miami Valley and Meadowbrook, Englewood and Dayton. Because you wound up working with Nathan Keel, who's your third partner, essentially the uh, runs the front of the house of Jollity. You wound up working with him at one of the country clubs, right? Before you guys started Jollity? Yeah, at Meadowbrook. We were both dishwashers there. But yeah, we were both in high school. We had to be because that was the work program. Maybe he graduated. I'm not sure. When you first worked together from that time, obviously you have all these life events and move and come back and everything, but did you guys stay in touch at all or how did you guys kind of reconnect? And then where did Zach kind of come into the mix too as well to form the group? Me and Nathan met in high school. Our lives have just intersected and then we've drifted away and then come back. Uh, Like he left the country for a while. He moved to Trinidad and to Cuba on missions trips. Uh, He went to school up in Michigan, kind of near where my grandma lives, working and running into him randomly and hanging out for a while. And then it was shortly after the I'd left the pub, I approached Zach for a job. He was working at Brookdale at the time, and he was actually quitting. Mine and Zach's wife also went to school with me and Nathan, but Zach was two years behind us, so I didn't meet him for like another probably eight years. They came to the pub one night and had a great time. Forgot to pay a tab, I think, and I don't know, Zach was pretty upset with the party, I believe. But yeah, just, I don't know, got to talking and had very similar views on you know what we wanted to do and how we wanted to get there and do it. Just keep the persistence. And I think I brought Nathan on. Nathan worked with us at Taste when we all kind of left our jobs together and ran that for a couple months. It's the only job we've gotten fired from. I said it was our first one together too. Uh, the first time we're, all three of us were working together, we all get fired the same day. Was the restaurant just closing or what? I don't think they knew what they wanted. You know, too many hands in the pot kind of thing. Too many managers, however that saying goes. Who was the first one to pitch the idea of opening a restaurant? Which one of you three was the light bulb went off first and convinced the other two? Well, for me and Zach, this is something we wanted to do before we even met each other. And Nathan had just, you know, was there, uh, always reliable and uh, smart, put things together uh, very, very quickly in his head, brought him into the fold. And, you know, all our personalities just mesh. Uh, we do have the same goal in mind at the end of the day, which is, you know, serving the best food that we can to as many people as possible, making sure that everybody has that experience. I don't care about being cool or whatever. I just want you to have a sit down at Jollity, have a good time, uh, enjoy the food you're eating. Hopefully we take you out of Dayton. Uh, and then, you know, when you leave, home's not too far away. Where's the name come from? I, I didn't ask Zach that when he was on the podcast. But how'd you guys come up with the name? Where's that come from? Uh, Zach... He was reading a book one day. I don't know if he's ever told me what book it was, or maybe, I don't know, maybe he was just looking up the definition. Uh, I came across the word, looked it up. It just encompassed everything we wanted to be. So now you guys started out as a pop-up. What was the biggest benefit for you in launching you know, the restaurant in a pop-up format before having a permanent space? Was it just being able to test out different kind of menu ideas and concepts or just kind of learning how to work together? All three of you guys, I mean, you had previous experience working with each other all at that one restaurant, but what was kind of the biggest benefit of starting out with a pop-up? Knowing that the market was there, just with the support of the community that we had when we were doing pop-ups frequently and frequently, and some were just sandwich pop-ups with ingredients that we would use in the restaurant or some were actual like sit down five course meal wine pairing dinners now the food has an influence from both korean and japanese cuisine which region do you gravitate towards out of those uh, i guess i'd say more korean 
is what I lean towards. Zach's more the Japanese uh, influence on things. He's traveled there and he's good at asking questions. You know, I was kind of the quote unquote country boy. I like the food that we did up at the farm to table. Easy, simple, but delicious. Don't mess around with things too much, which I guess, you know, that's why Zach and I collaborate real well is because, you know, his Japanese influence, once again, it's kind of very simple, but done well. So with you being kind of the Korean half of the influence, what is it about kind of Korean food that you gravitate towards? Mostly the spices, the seasonings of things. I don't know, I just kind of grab stuff. This goes good with this, so. Do you read like a lot of Korean cookbooks, watch a bunch of Korean cooking videos? You've never been to Korea, right? So how do you not just discover this cuisine aside from eating it firsthand, but then you also want to like have that incorporated into your cuisine? I went more towards the the smoking down south type of thing. I just like, I like using more Korean ingredients, I guess. Looking them up, what do they do? What do they taste like? What do they pair well with? But yeah, I always gravitate like taking those ingredients and putting them something that, like they would make in the south. You guys eventually open and kind of talked with Zach about that whole process and everything. But then you guys eventually start doing this tasting menu. You have an a la carte menu for kind of like the dining tables and then you got a tasting menu at the counter. So doing the tasting menu, that kind of changes monthly, right? Is that a full revamp of the menu or do you guys just tinker with that kind of and change out two, three, four courses or maybe just swap out some ingredients based on seasonality? Like how do you guys approach that? Every month it's different. We try to keep it themed. I think that helps us stay focused. We're not jumping everywhere. So like this month is when you wake up at two o'clock in the morning, what bad food do you eat? You know, the first course is Bosco sticks, which is a Chinese sausage and a shokupan roll with Gruyere cheese. And we serve it with, uh, I think, Calabrian Chilean oil. So that's like our take on a Bosco stick that you get in high school. What's the next course? KFQ is the entree, uh, Kentucky fried quail. So we make our like Kentucky fried chicken, but with quail and then smoked Yukon potato puree. And that's kind of like the two o'clock in the morning eating it out of the fridge. We serve it hot. I imagine people eat it out of the fridge and just, you know, stuff like that. We did Oktoberfest one time. So we tried to keep everything themed in some kind of Oktoberfest, whether it be an ingredient or a preparation. That's what we play with. You guys famously decided not to accommodate dietary restrictions. Looking back on that, do you still feel that that was the right decision? You still 100% that was definitely the right call? Yeah, yeah. For us, like Koji Burger, we can't do that. We realized through Jollity that if we do the no substitutions, no modifications, we have to have an out for everybody. You know, we purposely pick the ingredients for the people that eat meat. So we're going to purposely create something for people that have, you know, gluten intolerances or dairy intolerances or whatever. So it's all getting the same thought. You know, I've made dishes that each component tastes amazing. And once it's all together, it's shit. We do what we do and we test it and we want to share our experience with you or our version of our experience. I think we got more backlash on that having ballet than we did on having no substitutions. So yeah, <laughs> which is, you know, weird because it's all free parking after five when we open and big parking lot behind us. 
You guys have done like a handful of guest chef dinners. We got the chance to go to the one that you guys did with Andrew Smith from Roy's app supper club and everything. They've been popular, successful. I think they've sold out way faster than you guys have anticipated. Now that you guys have a bit more of a routine going into 2023, you guys have been open for a year and a half and everything. Do you think that's a avenue that you guys are going to continue to expand on instead of maybe doing like a one night, do like a whole weekend or even have more guest chef dinners than just a, a couple of year? Uh, yeah, we always love to have guest chef dinners and we send our staff out to stage, uh, when we can. Like we sent one guy out to Marrow in Detroit. I got to go to Brewster in the Till down in Florida. Yeah, that's uh, sharing as much knowledge as we possibly can with each other, uh, is very important. And luckily it works out. We didn't even put a menu up for the one that Andrew Smith and I did and we sold out the day that we posted it. So yeah, just the backing that we have from the people around us is very, very cool. It's a very, very cool feeling that we have that kind of support. So you still stage too as well? Like you'll pop out to a different restaurant? Yeah, as often as we can. I think, I don't know. I think it's Zach's turn to go next. I'd love to go back down to Rooster until I had a blast. And it's nice to like restaurant owner. You're always busy. You're always stressed. That was like a nice part of that was now I'm just a line cook. Like I don't have to make decisions. I prep the food that they tell me to prep. I ask the questions I want to ask and then uh, get the clock off. Do you ever get any weird looks from like you walk into this kitchen and there's probably some like young kid and like, who is this guy who's like coming in here to stop? It's just like, what is going on? I never find it weird. I know why I'm going there. I'm focused on that. You know, making friends along the way is, you know, always a plus. And I'm always down to teach. I mean, that's another thing that we do at Jolity is try to teach our employees about what we're doing or where it comes from or this is how you do the research and figure out what goes well together. Looking back on like the first year and a half of being open with Jolity, is there anything you wish you would have done differently or implemented sooner than you have? No, I think we're growing organically. I mean, that's because none of us knew what we were doing until, you know, we just, we started doing it. I guess the only thing I'd really change would just be two construction things, which is our alcohol bar and our kitchen bar, uh, instead of having an end cap, having that open for, we'd extend the alcohol bar uh, to the window, or at least so they'd have an out on the other side. Because right now it's one way in, one way out for both bars. Having an exit on the other side would be nice, but yeah, nothing we can do about it now. Koji Burger, where'd the idea come up for that? We were trying to decide what to do for restaurant week. And before we opened Jolity, we always talked about doing a burger, but we decided to never really put one on our menu. I think kind of like more about the time that we opened, we decided against it. So that came up during the restaurant week conversation and we decided to try it and people, I mean, flocked towards it. So yeah, it's kind of the story on that. People wanted the cheeseburger and figured out how to make it. Was the reason you guys never put it on the menu when you first opened was just because there's a few people like I think like Jack Moore talked about this when he was at Watershed too. It's people will just order the burger because it's familiar and then they gravitate towards it and they don't like see anything else and you almost get pigeonhole your menu into great. Everybody's ordering the burger, but there's a lot of other cool stuff on our menu. Was that kind of the reason for avoiding it? I guess the main reason would be when we go out, we always get the burger. I don't know. We just, we decided to not go that route. With the burgers that you came up with and are making, what makes it different than any other burger that you could find anywhere else? What's special about it? 
Zach makes all the buns. It's our house shoku pan rolls that he converted into a uh, hamburger bun form. Uh, and then the beef, like how we do our steaks at Jollity, is we koji age them for three days uh, and then rinse them off. And then it's ready to eat. And what the koji does is, you know, breaks down the sugars and replicates a dry age feel and taste. You know, we tried it with the burgers and we tried it a few different ways. Do we keep the koji salt on it? Do we rinse it off? Uh, do we let it dry? So we found that the best uh, for us is sitting in it for three days still, rinsing it off, dicing it, letting it dry out for a day, and then putting it through the meat grinder. And we do about 60-40, 65 35% meat to fat ratio. Our fat comes from the ribeyes that we serve at the restaurant right now. So I take the uh, fat fat cap off and koji that, grind that in with everything else. For your burger, then, it's a four-day process, just for the patty. Yeah, just for the patty, it's a four-day process. And we only sit 56 people in our walk-in six foot by six foot by seven foot high. So when we first started doing it, you know, people caught on and there was such a high demand. I think our first real pop-up that we did for Koji Burger at Jollity, we had a line of, I don't even know how many people, a city block long line. And we disappointed about 60% of that line because we ran out in 52 minutes. And we opened the doors at noon and sold out at 12.52. We just didn't have the space to make any more. That's been the struggle with this project is the space to make all the stuff to be able to serve everybody that wants it. Did you guys think that you were going to sell out that fast? For that initial pop-up, yes. Just based off what we did for the restaurant weeks and when we bring it like on a Tuesday for something special. You know, we always have a line when we did it on the random Tuesday. We'd blast social media blasts like we have 40 cheeseburgers tonight and those 40 cheeseburgers would be sold out in 30 minutes. And then we'd be, you know, dead for the rest of the night. You know, one of the obvious questions that I'll just ask is why not put the burger on a bar menu and put it over at the bar area? Uh, our bar only holds six or eight seats. Not very many people sit there except on the weekends. Wouldn't know how many we would sell. Did you guys do a bunch of research, whether it was, you know, firsthand eating a bunch of different burgers or when you're coming up with the recipe? Just a culmination. Like I said, everywhere we go, we get the cheeseburger. I mean, if they have it, that's what we're going to get, uh, at least to try it. So yeah, culmination of like the stuff about a cheeseburger that we liked, what would work with, you know, the style of beef that we have. And we found that thin and crispy kind of five guys, uh, smash burger style worked for what we're trying to do. So you can go out and enjoy a burger or are you deconstructing it in your mind? Like when you eat somebody else's burger, are you like, why they do this with the pickles or, you know, they use this cheese, but this would be better with, you know, different kind of cheese. Like, are you breaking it down in your mind and or like overanalyzing it or can you just turn it off and actually enjoy the burger? I can turn it off pretty easily. It's situational. I guess if I'm searching for something, I'm going to analyze it uh, as much as I can. But I also eat McDonald's. So I'm fine with just a double cheeseburger, you know, for a dollar or whatever it costs now. Is the goal to take Koji Burger eventually and kind of spin it off into its own location, like brick and mortar, you know, down the road? Or do you always want it to just kind of be a pop-up that operates during the hours that Jollity's not open? Uh, yeah, no, we're actively searching for locations now. We're hoping to be open mid-next year, but, you know, we'll see what the economy brings and uh, if this stays as hyped up as it has been. Because it's something like part of the reason to do this is to create jobs, kind of, I guess, give people purpose uh, as much as we possibly can. So having that as an opportunity 
to switch people out, you know, learn different things. Eventually, our buddy John is opening a butcher shop. So hopefully he would take over the meat aspect of it. And then we have places that we can send our employees if they get bored uh, or whatever. Or like, hey, you're doing a really good job at Koji Burger. Come on down to Jolly and let's you know have you hang out there for a day or two. So it get, gives people the doorways to to find something better if they want to. You guys have done a handful, you know, of the Koji Burger pop-ups. The menu seems to rotate a little bit each time. I mean, I think you've had fried chicken sandwich on there, veggie burger option, bologna sandwich. Like also like the latest one that just came up, there's going to be like duck poutine on it. So you always have, you know, the Koji Burger at the top, but then you have a secondary two other kind of mean sandwiches and then some sides and there's a couple desserts usually at the bottom with that level below the main burger that's always there is that kind of your space to play around with different concepts to kind of build out the menu eventually and see what sticks what people like what don't uh yeah it's it's honestly just us having fun as much as we possibly can with this project we have you know the staple cheeseburger uh they're called the koji burger uh, Mac Burger is going to be another one that's kind of always on the menu. And then we'll always have a special or two. One burger special, one sandwich special, or like the bologna sandwich might be on there all the time. Chicken sandwich will be on there all the time. Yeah, just kind of fine-tuning and putting recipes in the back pocket. So when we do get it up and running, you know, we have things to fall back on uh, while st- still trying to figure out new ones. Now, everything for the burgers made in-house, is everything for all the other things that you come up with? Is that all in-house too? For the most part. I mean, like we use QP mayonnaise instead of making our own just because we like that flavor. But yeah, rolls are made in-house, beef is seasoned in-house, lettuce is shredded in-house. Uh, all the sauces are made as much as we can in-house. The pickles, you know, we make our own pickles too, as much as possible. So how do you know, you know, when it's going to be the right time to like spin it off into its own? Obviously, you're looking for space. So kind of predicated upon when that space is available and can be fixed up or whatever. But when do you kind of know it's the right time to kick the concept out of the nest, so to speak? I don't know. When the opportunity presents itself, I guess this kind of opening jollity, we opened mid pandemic uh, and we had our chance for an out and we didn't take it. We worked this hard uh, for this thing. Might as well keep it going. So I feel like that's how we're going to treat Koji Burger too. When the right location opens up at the right time, at the right price, uh, and we talk about it, that's that's when it'll be time. Hopefully mid next year, mid 2023 would be great. But all those things have to align uh, before we make any moves. Do you think other restaurants should do something similar that you guys do in the fact that you guys are open for pretty much dinner only? We're doing brunch on the weekends, but with being a dinner only restaurant, but then you have the Koji Burger pop-up that operates Fridays and Saturdays, and then Gem City Butchery sometimes operates on Sundays. So do you think more restaurants should lend their space out to other concepts during their off hours? Is that a business model that makes sense or is that just pretty much based off connections and and people having ideas and stuff? Yeah, based off connections and people having ideas and the people that, you know, have supported us throughout our opening uh, are wanting to open up their own space. So it's kind of like the repayment slash pay it forward type of thing. If you have a good idea and you're passionate about it and, you know, you want to talk about doing something in collaboration with us or using our space, it's always up for discussion. We want to support the community as much as they support us. 
Why do you think more restaurants are like apprehensive to do that where they're just closed? Obviously, some of it is probably, you know, they have a prep team in there in, in the morning or something like that. But, you know, there's plenty of restaurants that you know they're not open on Sunday, Mondays. And, and that's a prime time where they could, you know, have a pop up or something in there and, and generate some sort of revenue to help with margins. Right. Uh, I mean, we, I guess we don't really make anything off of we open our bar. But even then, it's it's mostly about the food and we don't really right now charge a rental fee or whatever. So yeah, it's just highlighting the people of Dayton that, you know, want to start their businesses down there. You've worked with Zach for a number of years. He was on this podcast previously. Give me your best Zach Wiener story. Oh, we went to New York. Uh, I think it was Memorial Day weekend when we were all at CareSource and we went with a couple of friends of ours, one of them at the time, uh, Crystal Coppock. She's the sous chef at Wheat Penny. And uh, I think it was the last day that we were there. We ended up getting, I don't know how we got into her, her hotel room, Crystal's, uh, but we did. And Zach didn't have clean socks. So he stole the socks out of her suitcase. I didn't tell her for like two months. I don't know why. I always get a kick out of that. Um, and I'm not, I don't snitch. So anytime like it gets brought up, I said, I don't know. I did, I didn't see Zach take those socks out of your suitcase. So yeah, that, I don't know. Just one of the funny ones. You did a guest chef dinner with Andrew Smith, who's also been on this podcast. So give me a, your best story working with Andrew. Man, I guess, I mean, we've only worked together that one time. We had an intimate moment in the basement looking for plates. I don't think we found any plates in the basement dark and secluded and the lights are automatic so you don't know when they're going to turn on it's spooky being located in dayton do you think that's given you guys more freedom and less pressure to be able to do what you want smaller food market compared to cincinnati or columbus where maybe in those situations if you're in a different city you wouldn't have as much opportunity to explore or test out different plates or, or stuff like that where the bigger the market that you're in the more defined the concept has to be as soon as it launches kind of thing? Um, I think that we were honestly scared when we were opening because of the words that we use on our menu. We knew that we had to keep it approachable for the consumer. So I wouldn't say like dumbing it down, but there are things that we still don't feel comfortable or suitable in this market being Dayton, Ohio. So I think, you know, being in Cincinnati, we might be a little bit more bold because there's a lot more people available in Cincinnati. But, you know, we do our best to try to educate the consumer. So actually, one of my favorite things that happens is I overhear customers saying, I can't read what's on the menu. And I, my response is always like, great, then you have to ask questions. It creates dialogue between, you know, myself and the customer, the server and the customer. And that interaction, I feel like, is part of the experience to get people to come back. Do you think kind of the blank slate nature that Dayton has now? I mean, there's you guys, there's Sueno, a couple other things uh, in the works too in that market. But do you think more chefs from those other cities nearby, Cincinnati, Columbus, what have you, will expand into the Dayton market just because of cost of real estate being what it is and all that stuff? I think Hard Rock Cafe is opening up down here. So yeah, we are going to get kind of that draw of the corporate businesses. Uh, but I think Dayton will keep a pretty good balance between the corporate to the you know independent scenes. I think they've done a pretty good job uh, in the past in keeping it as local as possible. But you know, you always need the, the big corporations uh, as well. Have you been in touch or have had anybody reach out to you, an independent restaurant owner, get your guys' take on the Dayton market and if it's you know worth it for them to expand into? 
we haven't been contacted by anybody trying to move into Dayton now. Since you've been involved, you know, in the food and restaurant industry, how has the Dayton market changed? What do you think still needs to change? Where do you think it's headed? I think we're getting more serious in food uh, and more locals are wanting to, you know, express themselves with their own businesses uh, and do what they want to do. So I kind of, I hope that that's the way that it continues is, you know, once again, helping out your neighbor and just creating that community. That's where I want it to go. Selfishly, it would be great. What's kind of next? I mean, you know, you guys have Jolly running. It's a great restaurant. You got Koji Burger. You're doing some pop-ups and looking to kind of spin that off into its own location. But is there anything else that you guys are tinkering with? Would you guys ever even consider opening a restaurant in a different market aside from Dayton? Or are you guys kind of Dayton all the way, kind of Dayton until you die? At Koji Burger, we would look at like the first one we want as close to Jolly as we could get it. But after that, once we know it's successful, we know how to run it and programs are in place. You know, we would look outside of the immediate Dayton market, i.e. Centerville, Bellbrook, what have you. The Koji Burger thing has to work before we get into anything else. We, we're not in the interest of getting any bigger as a restaurant. 56 seats is the biggest restaurant we'll ever do. I think the goal for us is to get it down to a 12 seat tasting menu and run it like four nights a week with a few different seatings per night and do what we want to do in that aspect. This next question comes from the previous guest on the podcast, Chef Colby Rasavong. He is the founder of the pop-up Psalm, uh, which he's got a residency in New York. And then he's also going to be the executive chef at Bad Idea in Nashville once it opens next year. Former chef de cuisine at Audrey. He left behind for you with the current changes in the industry regarding labor and wages. What are some of the things you're doing to overcome those types of gaps within your restaurant? We've never really had to deal with that. I think something that Zach and myself and Nathan have always not liked about the restaurant industry was the pay. So we don't really mess, like we start you off at training hours. We discuss what your wage can go up to when your training is over with. Uh, and it being such a small staff, we pay people what we think they're worth at the time. And as I think Salte Cook is the newest guy, and I think he's already gotten a raise. And he's only been there like three months. We know that we can't make money and we can't be happy unless our team is happy and being taken care of. Never really had a problem with that. Servers make great money. Kitchen people get raises. We don't mess with in and out times, really. We very, very rarely uh, cut early because, in my opinion, if you go into a job and it's a 40-hour work week and you get done in 35, you're losing money being more efficient. So we try to have that mindset going into things. Well, you're here. You signed on for this. It's our responsibility to have you do something in those hours that you're designated to be here. What's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest on the podcast? What local restaurant have you had your best burger at? So this next question comes from one of our listeners. They wrote in, why don't more restaurants have pop-ups operate out of their space during the days that they're closed? I mean, I think we kind of answered that one, but... It's a trust issue, an insurance issue, possibly uh, having people in your space uh, that you might not necessarily know, I guess. It is extra work. Like just because, you know, Jollity's closed, I'm still there on those pop-up days. It's still my establishment, so I still have to, you know, make an appearance or whatever. But it's also my way of showing support. I also jump back and I help whatever the guys throwing their pop-up need help with. It's extra work, and I completely understand that other places don't do it. So this last set of questions we asked everybody who comes on the podcast, so nice compare and contrast across 
all the episodes. Who would you say is the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far when you look back on it up till now? I always say my mentor is a guy named Steve Taylor. Uh, I worked with him at both the country clubs, Meadowbrook and Miami Valley. And just, I don't know, hanging out with him as a young kid in Meadowbrook and then becoming a sous chef when he went on to Miami Valley. Uh, he's always kept me you know, on the straight and narrow, called me stupid a lot. You know, we always got along. He always had answers to questions. And, you know, he cared uh, about what we were doing. He always told me never to open my own restaurant. And I should get out of this business. You know, I proved him wrong. Yeah. But yeah, Steve Taylor, he was just a good dude. What's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? Peeler. We lose ours every two minutes. Restaurant you'd recommend that isn't your own? Person gets stuck at the airport. You guys are closed. They reach out to you. Hey, where should we go eat? We're stuck overnight here. Um, I always say Wheat Penny or Grist would be my like my two. Wheat Penny, you know, Liz has been friends with us and a mentor for a very, very long time. Uh, I've worked for her in the past. We've done pop-ups together, charity events together. Very, very talented chef. Learned some things from all over the world. They make their own pizza dough. And I think the mother is like originated with her grandmother or something. So it's a very, very, very old mother. Yeah, they just have depths of flavors. And then Grist is just like a pasta sandwich shop. I believe both the the husband and wife team are both Michelin starred at one point chefs uh, that just wanted to move back to Dayton to you know start a family. And we've worked together in the past. They cook good food. They hire the locals and their training program is... If I wasn't a Jolity, I would work at Grist. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. So a place you have not visited yet, but you still want to travel to. And then also a restaurant you have not eaten at, but it's at the top of the list to get there one day. Place would be the Philippines, really anywhere. When I was in Colorado, uh, I stayed in the, I don't know, I'll call it dorms, but it was just like the employee apartments. Uh, and there was a lot of Filipino college students that came over to, you know, it was their externship or whatever. I got to learn a lot from their culture, their food, met their family when they came in to town to visit, uh, seen the pictures, heard the stories. And it's that's just something I want to experience that type of from what was painted to me, like the family, every dinner is a celebration. It's always a party and it's just dinner. We sit down, four people, mom, dad, brother, sister, sit down, four people, have a good time. How was your day? There, it's just like a party. So just to be part of that experience, I think would be cool. And as for the restaurants, I, yeah, that one I'm not a hundred percent sure on. I don't know. I haven't been to Momofuku, any of the Momofuku stuff from David Chang. I don't even know if Bolt is still around anymore, but I guess Alinea. I've never been there. That's in Chicago. That's close. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working? I was working a St. Patty's Day celebration and somebody bet somebody else to drink dumpster juice and they did it. That was nasty. So I stayed away from that. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything, fast food, candy, anything that's unhealthy and you know it's unhealthy, but you just can't help yourself. McDonald's fish fillet sandwiches. Absolutely my favorite thing on the planet. Favorite Instagram account you follow? Don't really do the social medias. So that's, yeah, that's Zach's thing. I don't understand it. You know, I feel old a lot of the time. Favorite dish thing you ever cooked, created? You know, looking back on your career, you can kind of point to this dish as almost like your aha moment. Like you knew you could be a professional chef. Never really thought about that one. I worked at Roost, uh, modern Italian in Dayton, and me and my sous chef, Dayton Stone, 
create, did a Corvina dish with like roasted peaches and balsamic glaze and maybe risotto. He would remember more than I would, but that was just a really good collaboration. It was the first time like the rains got let loose on us. First time we got to collaborate on a dish at, at roost, uh, special wise. And we ended up selling all of the Arctic char that we had to get into the salmon. It was nuts how much we sold. So yeah, that was the, that was a really good feeling. That something that we created when it had been a long time since I created something went like that. It was pretty cool. I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is or was. Uh, if you were, is there a moment, episode, scene about him that always stands out to you? Or if you weren't, is there anybody else who was on TV, culinary personality, Emeril, Guy Fieri, Bobby Flett, whoever, that you just kind of always gravitated towards when you were coming up through your career? Anthony, huge Anthony Bourdain fan. Read his books uh, throughout you know my young career gotten to david chang a little bit late anybody on tv i remember as a kid you know young adult watching the iron chef uh episodes and i think that i'd probably never do it now but back then it's like i'd like to be there i'd like to be at the level to get on this tv show where can people find you social media website reservations plug everything jollitydayton.com that's our website uh 127 east third street in dayton that's our address you can find us on instagram and facebook i think you just type in jollity dayton pretty easy to find and then there's a separate instagram account for koji burger i think it's at koji burger underscore dyt i think you guys open wednesday through saturday uh tuesday through saturday from five to nine on the weekdays and fridays and saturdays five to ten and the Koji Burger is Fridays and Saturdays from noon until one thirty, or we sell out. Sell out. And then you guys do the tasting menu at the bar. That's a, a reservation needed. Yeah, reservation only, and that's on Fridays and Saturdays. Once again, check social media because we do skip about one week every month. You know, we have something going on, what have you. But yeah, we we normally run the tasting menu three weeks out of the month you know we've been there a couple times awesome food awesome restaurant cool vibe delicious food the drink menu too that's curated is great haven't had koji burger yet but you know we're going to be popping out there one of these next uh i think fridays i got some time off so we're gonna drive out there and try some burgers because it looks delicious and i'm always down for a burger we have a couple good burger spots here in columbus but uh nobody's that doing dry agent type technique so super interested to try it always down to drive out there and have the regular menu too as well just because it's great food so but um if you ever need anything from us you know let us know stay in touch always an open invitation for anybody that comes on the podcast to come back on we want to support you guys as much as we can so otherwise enjoy the rest of your evening and uh we'll be seeing you soon yeah thank you very much Big thanks again to Brennan for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of his evening to chat about his career and Jollity and Koji Burger. Again, you can follow them on Instagram at Jollity Dayton is the restaurant account. Brennan's account is at System Updating, but again, he doesn't really post. So you can follow him there if you like, but mainly follow the Jollity account. They'll give you all the updates on pop-ups and menus, changing and all that stuff. Any special events that they do with guest chefs too as well. Um, so make sure to check those out because that seating is usually pretty limited and sells out pretty fast too as well. And then also at Koji Burger DYT for Koji Burger news and menu developments and different pop-ups and stuff like that too as well. 
Follow us on Instagram at SpoonMob. Make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from and check out our website, SpoonMob.com. Feel free to write in questions, comments, feedback, either directly to us, SpoonMob at Yahoo.com is our email or through the contact portal on the website. You can submit anything that you want. If there's a question that you always wanted to ask a chef or sommelier, a restaurant owner, shoot that in and we'll incorporate it in an upcoming episode too as well. And that way you kind of be part of the podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. Happy New Year to everybody. Pretty exciting slate, pretty aggressive slate that we're going to do here for 2023, I think. So we got a bunch of stuff kind of already recorded and stuff being recorded in the works too as well. So super excited for you guys to be able to listen to it. Probably going to try and do some guest spots too as well on some other podcasts that aren't maybe food focused. So we got a few things in the works there and uh, looking forward to getting back out, eating at a bunch of different restaurants and trying great food and sharing that with everybody. If you're new here, welcome. If you've been here for a while, appreciate your continued support and listenership and continue to help spread the word. You know, people who might have an interest in listening to the podcast, tell them to check it out. You know, wind up at a restaurant that we featured, you know, make sure to let your server hostess know that, you know, heard about them on the Spoon Mob podcast and super excited to try out the food firsthand. Um, That always helps make everybody know that it's worthwhile for them to come on the podcast and spread the word and everything too as well and keep everybody in touch. So again, thank you to everybody. I hope everybody enjoyed the holiday break and everything. And we're back in full swing. So we will talk to you guys next week on Thursday.